watchers in the fourth dimension taste the secret sauce of life. Welcome to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Don. I'm Anthony. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. Today, we're doing something we haven't done in over a year, and that's doing yet another special musical episode in which we take two or three tracks related to Doctor Who ephemera and listen to them and give our thoughts on them. Our first track is Who is the Doctor, performed by John Pertwee, with lyrics and arrangement by Rupert Hine. This track was originally released in 1972, again in 1983, again in 1985, and finally, maybe for the last time, in 2014. <laughs> Clearly a pretty popular bit of Doctor Who media. Interestingly enough, this originally was released on Purple Records, a record label that mainly just handled releases by Deep Purple. <laughs> I was really hoping you were going to say that it was released on purple vinyl, like a special collector's coloured edition. I would totally buy that. I would want one immediately, hands down. Purple's the best colour. That would be pretty darn awesome. This track had its lyrics and arrangement by a gentleman named Rupert Hine. The lyrics part I was very surprised by because I thought they just recorded John Pertwee talking to himself on set. <laughs> <laughs> but no, actual lyrical composition. Rupert was a very prolific producer, songwriter, and singer. He produced albums for Rush, Tina Turner, Stevie Nicks, just to name a few. His, his list of producer credits is literally a mile long. His Wikipedia, it's very impressive list of people he's worked for. For me, he also produced a soundtrack to the movie Better Off Dead. If you haven't watched it, it's a very wonderful bit of 80s fun. Sadly, he died in June 2020 at the age of 72 with a musical career lasting over 50 years in the business. Finally, as our little behind the track information comes to a close, John Levine actually once sang this song as a tribute to John Pertwee, but replaced the line, I'm the doctor, with the words, I knew the doctor. Aww. So on that sad note, <laughs> let's talk about it. I really enjoy this. It's a guilty pleasure for me. Oh, so Anthony, you were familiar with it prior? Honestly, I was familiar with all three of the songs or tracks yeah. that we're going to discuss today. And I have very fond memories of being at a Doctor Who viewing party at a friend's house in the UK and as things got a little more drunken later on in the night, someone <laughs> put this on and did like a, an impromptu karaoke version of it. <laughs> Simon Hart, if you were listening, that's you. Wonderful. I did enjoy it. It really leaned hard into it being about Doctor Who. The fact that it's really not sung is great. It kind of has like a Shatner-esque type thing going for it. Oh, well, Julie wins. Uh, wins. Yeah. yeah, you beat me to it. I had a whole thing written up about that. <sighs> Don and I were actually had a text thread earlier today wondering who was going to mention Shatner first, and I had money on Riley. It's just because I started talking first. <laughs> if Riley, if you had just jumped in and started talking, I'm sure it would have come up faster. But really, it's pretty solid, and it's really encaptures Doctor Who better than, we'll say, the other song that's also on the list. That was actually going to be one of my <laughs> questions. Which one of these tracks captured the essence of the Doctor? Oh, who is the Doctor? Mm. Hands down. Neither of them are a who's Doctor Who. Let's, <laughs> let's be honest there. That's very true. I did find that once you start looking at them, the lyrics don't make a whole lot of sense. No, they no. do not. But they do get the right feeling. 
across. They sound great. They do. Words like metallic teeth begin their grind. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Jump early. <laughs> I think this is just another, and I've made this comparison before, this is just another similarity between Shatner and Pertwee. <laughs> and I just am wondering, does Pertwee have a version of Mr. Tambourine Man? Just like Shatner. <laughs> so here's the thing. When Don and I were talking about this earlier, I did realize that Shatner's first album was in 1968. So this was a few years later. I'm wondering if there might have been some inspiration. And by the way, for everyone, if you did enjoy this kind of sci-fi spoken word, Shatner did another album later on in 2004 with Ben Folds, and it's actually very, very good. It's not just sci-fi. It kind of is spread out amongst a lot of different types of music, but it is spoken word, Shatner doing his thing, and he does a cover of Common People by Pulp, which is excellent. It's fantastic. Speaking of common people, and this might be something we want to cover the next time we do this, in the 2000s, British Telecom BT had a service where if you texted a landline it would call the landline and have a voice actually read out the text and for a while they had tom baker as the voice and someone literally texted the lyrics to common people uh. recorded it and put it to the music it was fantastic it's probably out there somewhere on the internet i used to have the mp3 of it huh. but yeah it was good fun that's amazing I think we've covered how we feel about the lyrics and the delivery. <laughs> what do we think about the arrangement of Delia's tune? Because they didn't use any bits of the original. It sounds like it belongs in the 70s. It's so synth heavy. <laughs> and I'm like, well, this is what I'm used to. It's not quite like Dudley Simpson-esque because I think it leans more into what was going on in music as opposed to trying mm -hmm. to fit into like a television show so i enjoyed it a lot more but that's kind of my feeling is i thought it was well done yeah it's a little heavy on the synth but that makes sense yeah i would agree with that it does feel very much of its time <laughs> i did like how it kind of starts out with a bit of piano at the beginning before they begin layering on mm -hmm. different instruments mm -hmm. yeah I, I would agree with that as well I actually like the arrangement. I think it went on a little longer than it needed to after Pertwee's last line. But overall, it was a, a good arrangement. Do we have anything else we would like to say about who is the Doctor? Eventually, if anyone wants to buy us drinks at DragonCon one year, we might do a rendition of this. <laughs> you get us drunk enough. You don't need to get me that drunk. Sorry, guys, but I sing enough on the podcast. <laughs> I'm specifically talking about doing a rendition of this rather than singing in general. Uh, <laughs> I'll do it, but I'll do it using a Shatner impression. Fair. Love it. Moving on, and yet moving backwards, we're going to discuss who's who. And is anyone else getting very confused by all the names of these different songs? Yes. Yes. Very, very confusing. This was performed by Roberta Tovey, who was the competent young Susan <laughs> in Doctor Who and the Daleks. The lyrics and the arrangement was by Malcolm Lockyer and his orchestra, and he was the one that actually did the score of the film. And in mm. case you couldn't tell, they released this to cash in on the popularity of Doctor Who mm. and the Daleks. Julie, you have feelings. I do have feelings. This is where I felt it really fell apart of not being about Doctor Who at all. Most of it, I'm sitting here, I'm like, not Doctor Who, not Doctor Who, not Doctor Who. So yes, they're leaning very heavily on the movies. And even then, I'm like, it still doesn't seem to make sense. But all right, we'll go with it. I loved the music in this one because it's the 60s. 
I love that style. I thought that was wonderful. Oh, yeah. But you could definitely tell that this was made because of the popularity of the film. Speaking of the music, I really liked how prominent the bass was yeah. in the mix. Mm -hmm. Not just chugging along, but just doing very interesting things. And everything else is mainly just backing vocals and stuff. So it was really cool. What's really confusing for me about this is it was made to cash in on the success of the movie. But when she's describing him, she talks about a man with long gray hair, which is ostensibly not Cushing. That's more like Hartnell. Who's she even talking about here? It just feels very cheap Ooh. and lazy and <laughs> slapped together. Who is the who that you're talking about? And did Horton hear him? Exactly. Also, like while sitting on top of a horse, when in the world has the doctor been sitting on a horse? I think they really needed a rhyme. <laughs> Yeah. I think they're like, what are we going to do? Ah, put them on top of a horse. I felt like this song had a real kind of Burt Bacharach sound to it. It had like a snazzy mm -hmm. percussion. It had very active background vocals that had like a production behind them. I, I don't know what you would call it, but it has that kind of Bacharach sound. And also the, the brass that kicks in at the back half of the song. It's one of those things like our, uh, we just talked about Day of the Daleks, how that was a not a Dalek story. You know, could have put anyone else in here. This is not a Doctor Who song because the lyrics are just kind of thrown together. They're trying to be a Doctor Who song, but it doesn't really seem to work. But the music itself is good. Mm -hmm. Personally, I enjoyed the sound of this one more than the others, but lyrically, it's nonsense. At the risk of being a hateful individual, I'm just going to come out <laughs> and say it. I really hate pop songs with kids singing in obvious kid voices i mean all that little donny osmond oh. stuff <gasps> hated that no don't you dare <laughs> not donny osmond you all heard it here first anthony hates children <laughs> <laughs> but donny osmond is a national treasure maybe when he grew up <laughs> i'm just not a fan of obvious kid voices on pop songs oh. doesn't work for me not a fan and i think roberta toby singing this is just incredibly annoying to me <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I didn't like her at all. She cannot sing. Sorry, but she can't. I think that having someone a little bit less cutesy would have gone a long way. So to a certain degree, Anthony, I agree with you. I just disagree with your whole premise that there are no good child singers. I didn't say there are no good ones. I just said I don't like it. There is a difference there. <laughs> <laughs> I just hate them. They should have gone all the way with Burt Backrack and hired Dionne Warwick <laughs> to sing this song. It would have been amazing. But I also think that I could potentially rewrite some lyrics and have a better Doctor Who song. Go on, then. <laughs> oh, no, I, I can't. You heard it here. Next year, or whenever we do this again, Julie will have a completed Doctor Who track. Just don't be surprised if it has a lot to do with Jamie or Benton. Jamie and Benton. <gasps> you don't want that. It's the invasion all over again. Oh, boy. Have we extracted everything from the marrow that is who's who? I think so. Yep. Let's end the suffering. <laughs> the suffering is about to continue. The final thing that we will be discussing is known as the Delaware theme, <laughs> performed by Brian Hodgson, Patty Kingsland, and according to some sources, Delia Derbyshire was actually involved in this in some way. This was recorded as a test of the new BBC Radiophonic Workshop EMS Synthy 100, which is a huge synthesizer that's basically a desk full of buttons and knobs. They intended for this to be a new version of the theme for 1972, 
but for some reason they changed their minds. <laughs> Can't imagine why. <laughs> the synth was named Delaware after the name of the road outside the studio where they recorded it was, and thus this became known as the Delaware theme. Surprisingly enough, this has actually been used in the show twice in Australia by accident <laughs> in episode two of Carnival of Monsters and episode five of Frontier in Space. It's also been used in the Big Finish production, The One Doctor. It did also make it onto that episode of Frontier in Space in the VHS release in the mid-90s, just because they wanted to put it out there. Wow. I can tell you, actually, seeing it in context, it was no better. My notes say, um, no. <laughs> and then the next one is, no bueno. And then I said, I mean, it's inventive, but no. You could tell that they had a lot of love that machine by how hard <laughs> they worked on coming up with a name for it. Just looking out the window and just be like, oh, yeah, it's that street. Yeah, let's call it that. Showed that they really cared about that machine a lot. I think there were a lot of machines that were named in similar ways because anytime they would get one, they would name it. I was hoping when you said it, when you described it, I thought they, it was going to be called Synthy. Yeah. Synthy the synthesizer. No, the Synthy is the, it's the name. There are a whole series of them made by a company called EMS. Well, then it should be Cynthia the Synthy. <laughs> that would be better. Yes. This specific one was a Synthy 100. I'm probably more familiar with the sound of, I think it's called the Synthy A, which was the primary instrument in Pink Floyd's On the Run. Mm. So actually, there was one part where I was like, you know, this kind of sounds like the thing that Peter Frampton does. With his little mouth thing. And I was like, huh, well, that's an interesting choice. There were a lot of interesting choices here. I do want to know how much it cost them to do this once you consider, you know, the cut that they probably had to include for the R&D for the actual machine. I think we could do it far cheaper on a set of rubber bands. <laughs> what replaces the awesome bass line is what sounds like a jaw harp. It does sound like that. Why would you replace the awesomeness with it? I mean, I think they were just playing around with it. But it's still such an interesting choice. Because also the cost difference between that machine and a jaw harp. <laughs> hmm. yeah. To be fair, they didn't buy the machine just to do this. They <laughs> bought the machine and then they decided to do this. I think I figured it out. This is like the Monty Python gag from uh, The Meaning of Life. It's the machine that goes ping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Here's the thing, like, I could understand them being like, hey, we're going to test this machine out, we're going to do the Doctor Who theme. Cool. Who the hell decided it was a good idea to actually try and push ahead and use what they did with it? I can understand redoing some of the most popular TV themes as a test, but not so much deciding let's actually use this. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that if they wanted to do a revamp of the theme, they could have still used the machine and maybe just toned it down a little bit and then it would be fine. But the fact that they were like, nope, this is the version that we want to try to actually get replaced. Oh, no, absolutely not. I think it's so bad that it we don't actually see an actual proper revamp of the theme again until 1980 and season 18. Yeah. I think they were so scarred by it. <laughs> My particular hill that I will die on is I think the first version of the theme is perfect for mm -hmm. Doctor Who. And so anytime they change, I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm old and grumpy like that. I am, unfortunately, you know, started with Murray Gold. So I'm a little, I don't want to say jaded, but I, I do I do enjoy the Murray Gold. That's fine. I'm not saying it's bad. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that for me, I like the ominous and weird sound of the original. Yeah. That's fair. 
I have a theme hill that I will die on, but we're not there yet, and I'm not willing to embarrass myself to everyone else to that <laughs> level yet. <laughs> it better not be in the Chibnall era, because if it's in the Chibnall era, I will strangle you. It's not you. the Chibnall era. It's going to be the weird 70s one, isn't it? Or like 80s. Maybe. It's, it's going to be Seventh Doctor's first No comment theme. at this time. <laughs> <laughs> no comment is a comment. He's saying, I will not be taking any further questions at this I time. I can neither confirm nor deny that at this point in time. <laughs> Do we know what happened to the Delaware? Did it get decommissioned or did it become sentient and try to kill everyone and they had to put it down? It might still be there. Oh, okay. They're actually still fairly popular right. amongst some vintage synth people. Mm -hmm. So yes, it still has an opportunity to become sentient, Riley. Good. <laughs> Big finish if you're listening. Yeah, it'll have trouble sneaking up on people with that, you know, jaw harp sound going on. <laughs> the synthesizer itself actually gets used for the incidental music for a serial in season nine. So we've got that to look forward to. The Sea Devils. Yeah. Oh, God. Julie's going to love that one. <laughs> I don't think it's a problem with the instrument itself. I just think that this arrangement and choice <laughs> of sounds was interesting. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> We'll see if you still have that perspective on it's not so much the actual machine after we've done the Sea Devils. I know good things have been done with this particular model of synth. <laughs> I'm not saying that they put it to good use, considering what we've heard in some previous serials of how they inflict the synthesizer upon us. <laughs> there. Oh, no. Well, I think we've probably beaten this poor version of the theme into the ground if it's your favorite version please make sure to leave a comment thank you all very much for listening and have a good one you have been listening to watches in the fourth dimension with don smith julie Philippek, riley shrek and myself anthony williams this bonus episode, Who's Who and Did Horton Hear Him, was originally recorded on Thursday the 18th of November 2021. If this is your first time listening in, all of our previous episodes are available through your favourite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Watchers4D, and you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or rating on your favourite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember... Never badmouth Donny Osmond with Julie within earshot. Go that way, really fast. If something gets in your way, turn.